A leader needs to be able to perform competence. And as we all know, usually we're all terrified. You have to embrace that fear. If you deny that fear, you get into things such as tension. And I think it's, it's come up in some of your podcasts and some of the reading. Tension reads, and I don't want to be around someone or I don't want to be led by someone who is tense. I want someone that I feel comfortable with. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work, while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. Hi, I'm Michael Wenderoth, and you're listening to 97% Effective. Ever listen to a speech and come away feeling, that's someone I will follow? Or the opposite, see one of your sharpest coworkers get dismissed and overlooked by top management because, well, they didn't present and come across as competent. If you've experienced either, you know the impact of communication and presence. In fact, research shows that our perception of someone's competence, leadership abilities, status, is heavily influenced by their body language, tone of voice, delivery. In fact, it may be less of what we say and more of how we say it. And the hard truth, communication is viewed as one of the top and most harshly judged leadership skills. And poor communication is one of the top reasons people don't get promoted. Can we enhance our delivery? If so, how? So I'm really excited to welcome today's guest, Chip Davis, voice and acting coach. We're going to discuss how to improve our delivery, drawing on Chip's extensive experience, bringing out the best in actors, writers, directors, and executives. I can't wait. Chip has had a dynamic career that has spanned, listen to this, studying Shakespearean iambic pentameter at the famed Juilliard School in New York, to producing the world of boxing for HBO. And that covered not only managing live transmissions, but developing statistical and financial databases. Today, he produces audiobooks and podcasts for Autovita Studios and works with clients to transform how they show up and deliver. Chip, welcome to 97% Effective. Well, thank you, Michael. It's very fun, 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 fun to be here. Just one little quick thing. Didn't really produce the boxing. What I did is I was in charge of the live transmission, which meant that I was wanting to make sure it had to go out there and all the creative stuff was somebody else. So it was a highly technical place to be. And let's go back in that journey, Chip. Mm-hmm. You decided to pursue acting in high school. And at 19, you, you moved to New York 
you missed the Juilliard auditions by one day. So you okay. had to wait all year. Mm-hmm. And then you said what got you in when you auditioned a year later was a single word. Okay. That just intrigued me. So, so tell us about that <laughs> word and that experience. Well, that's why I put that in there as opposed to telling you what that word is. This is going to be an X-rated thing. So you, know, you go into your audition and you have your classical monologue you have to do. You have your contemporary monologue. And, you know, it's they're seeing hundreds of kids, you know, come through and do that stuff. And then they go, okay, we're going to do an improv. Okay. You're sitting in your apartment. You get a phone call. And you're told that you didn't make it into the school. Okay. So I'm doing my thing. I'm playing like making coffee, doing all this, you know, acting stuff. And then the phone call comes in. I'm going, yes. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I hang up the phone, imaginary phone. And I sit down and I just kind of waited. And I waited. And I waited. And then finally I screamed, fuck. And I think that it just, it's so shocked all these uh, theatrical people. They're like, oh, oh my God. It's like, but the reason I think that's what got me in is because I wasn't afraid to push past the boundaries. I wasn't playing it safe. And I think that that is what intrigued them about me. And I think it's also one of the things that is very vital as an actor. That story stands on its own. Po- post Juilliard, you you go right. through Juilliard and acting, and then you you start as an actor, but you move into directing. Well, basically, it's it started more with playwriting, is what it really was. Mm. And so I was mm-hmm. writing and acting at the same time, and especially during the like the the eighties and all that, everyone was doing their one man show and all that kind of stuff. So I was trying to create that. The problem is, is when you're working, especially in lower budgets, is finding a director that's competent. That's when I started writing my own pieces and then directing. And from that, it's learning my skills that I would use in corporate America later on. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is as a director, a lot of people think of the director as a person that's going to go, okay, move here, do this, do it exactly as the way I say. And the best directors are those that just kind of go, ask you a question. Is that, what do you feel about that? Is that the right way? And so you're empowering the actors then to come to the role, bringing their own tools to it as opposed to just manipulating them. You know what I mean? There is a time for manipulation, uh, but it's usually you've got to give people their freedom to find the creative uh, power. And if they go too far, that's when the director goes, pull it back a bit. So that was my journey into directing more so. It was because... No one else is here to do it. I gotta. I, I might as well do it myself. And I've. And I really get it. I've. It's very fun and enriching for me to watch an actor at first, where you give them a little piece of information, and all of a sudden you just see their mind open up, and they start getting into their creativity and building something. And then when I've gone into uh, doing things with vocal with the actors. Again, it's the same thing. It's like, um, if I give you a line reading, I don't expect you to do exactly what I'm saying. It's just a suggestion. And then watching them jump with that. And then when you work with people who are not actors, and this is when we get to, I think when you and I first work, cause I, I do most of the recording for your podcasts and you have your episode zero, which is the, basically it's the mission statement for any podcast. This is what we're here for. 
you get the same joy when you watch someone else start to go, okay, I'm going to read my material and I'm going to read it well. And here's the content I want to put out there. And you did, you knew your content and you were very wonderful about how you were reading it. But the main thing is, is what was the question I asked you at first? Who's your audience? Who are you talking to? And whether you're acting, whether you're de delivering, I guess, uh, a speech, who's your audience? Who are you talking to? In your episode zero, I think we, the first thing I said is like, can you stand up? And you went, sure. And we got you up. And I, there's a little, little bit of deer in the headlights because you're like, what is he going to do to me? <laughs> and then it was really about, okay, who are you talking to? And I think we talked about, is it a TED talk? Are you with your buddies at the bar? Or are you in a coaching session? And I think we alighted on a coaching session because that's yeah. when I started to see you go, oh, the, the, the gears were turning. You started communicating to me. And that's the most important part of communication for me, whether it be in the theater, in television, or whether it just be someone speaking. Yeah, that folks will only hear episode zero. They will not hear all the iterations that we went through. Mm -hmm. But you had this very powerful ability to draw out and touching on something you said earlier, I was more real. Start with this subject around leadership and acting. There are, there are those who say leaders need to act. Mm -hmm. any, any particular strong views on that? A leader needs to be able to perform competence. And as we all know, usually we're all terrified. And the biggest thing I've noticed, the higher up the chain, the more you feel like, I, I, I can't be afraid. I have to be able to do this. I have to, I have to get through. I have to show, show strength. As an actor, you have to embrace that fear. If you deny that fear, you get into things such as tension. Tension reads, and I don't want to be around someone or I don't want to be led by someone who is tense. I want someone that I feel comfortable with. So the first thing is, don't deny the fear. That's what I have to do every night. I go on stage. I can do 800 performances of a role every time I'm going to get the butterflies, every time I'm going to have to find, go through my relaxation exercises. And there may be times within the show itself, the performance, I may have to take a moment just to go and catch my, 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 my breath or, or relax. I also attribute to like, we all hold tension in different places in our body, correct? And most people don't think about it. As an actor, we're always worried about it because we want to be normal. One thing that an acting teacher will always say is watch someone's hands, a performer. You can always tell when they're in the zone or comfortable if the hands are natural. You could say the same thing for any speaker. If someone walks into a boardroom and starts talking and their hands are very wooden and all that, they're not comfortable with the situation. So you embrace your fear, breathe it out, and go on with the speech, the performance, whatever you're doing at that point. It's about sometimes context over content. And I think what happens is, is a lot of times people will do content. I got to get that content out there. If you speak your content in an uncomfortable manner, you've lost your audience. If you're just talking about it, and laying it out. Don't worry if they're going to get it. You just want them to listen to you. That's the most important part of any performance or any speaking engagement. Look at a TED, the most successful TED Talks are people that just kind of come up and just 
talking to a larger audience. And that part around embracing the fear, not mm-hmm. denying it, you talked about this kind of relaxation before you go in to the situation. I right. mean, what, like down at the level, like practical level, is that just sitting and meditating for a moment, taking breaths? What do, what do actors do or what do you do as you work with individuals as right. they've, they've got this going around in their head, they've got to get up there and present? Well, there's a couple of things you can do in terms of when I'm dealing, let's, let's deal with, I do a lot of audiobooks and I do a lot of podcasts. And so what I'll try to do to get people comfortable who are not used to that, there's something I do called, okay, we're going to, we're going to choose steak. What does that mean? What you're doing is you're opening your mouth and it's, but it's not just like a, you're trying to get it really open and where the jaw connects it's really only connected by a few tendons, but we hold so much tension there. If you can open that up, it releases so many endorphins. You just like, you start to feel like, oh my God, and you're releasing the tension. That's one thing. Shaking your head, back and forth, releasing the tongue. It looks ridiculous, but it what it does is it frees up the, te- it releases the tension from wherever you're holding it. Also by being ridiculous. You're not as worried about how silly you might become. And the last thing I'll usually do before I, I go into a performance, if I'm really scared, scared or nervous, is I actually go, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. I'm going to have fun doing this. Because if I'm going to go, okay, I've got to think about this. I've got to think about my performance. All of a sudden, you're creating blocks, roadblocks to actually doing stuff. As opposed to, if I'm having fun, it becomes infectious. Another thing is breathing. You talked about meditation, if that works for you. But there's a simple thing that I like to do is you breathe in through your nose. Open up. You breathe out the tension. So you breathe in from a meditative point of view. Breathe in positive. Let that out. And as you do that, you can also go, okay, I'm tense in the shoulders. Let me breathe out that tension from the shoulders. Oh, I'm tense here or I'm tense there. You know, for me personally, one of the places that I keep tension when I'm truly scared are uh, in my legs. And I learned that in the dentist chair. Because I'm sitting there and I, 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 I'm trained. I can be relaxed. I know what I'm doing. And then the drill starts going on. Yeah, I can, and all of a sudden I'm going, my legs are hurting. And usually every five or 10 minutes, I got to have to mentally go, I have to relax that. That's an extreme example. But it's the same thing as if I'm going to be performing in front of 3,000 people. If I'm tense, I'm going to be blocked. Mm-hmm. So it's that, that loosening up and relaxing that allows you to, to be present in the moment yep. as you're moving through your, your presentation, your communication. Precisely. I was going to say that in terms of... My father was a doctor, and one thing he said is that to be an effective doctor, when someone comes onto the operating operating table, I have to think of them as a piece of meat, which sounds awful. But he goes, that's the only way I can be effective. If I'm thinking of them as a human, I'm going to be fearful. If I'm fearful, I'm going to make mistakes. It's the same thing as being an actor in terms of, I'm not going to think of it as being a piece of meat, but I have to remove myself from the fear. I have to be, I have to be in the moment. And part of that is being in the moment is 
like we started off at the top of the uh, of the podcast talking about going down rabbit holes, being open to change. And I think when I was working with you was getting you to just kind of relax who you're talking to and find the colors, what's going on. Here's the story I'm trying to tell. And uh, I think that's the main thing that you could learn from really good actors because they're people that will, they do their prep work. They know exactly everywhere they need to say. And that's the most important thing. You do your homework, then you forget it. A jazz musician will, if they're playing four or five hours at night, they're going to be rehearsing four or five hours that day because when they're playing, they don't want to think. They just want it to happen. So you've kind of got it programmed because you've practiced, you know your material, and then you want to loosen up, be in the moment. This brings me back to sports and (laughs) way back, the inner game of tennis really talked about not letting your your head get in the way of your performance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, the, I think with anything, you know, it's easier when you, t- you talk about a musician or a, or a singer, they're going to go practice all day long. We don't talk about that enough, I believe, in, let's say, everyday work. What are the skills you have to practice every day? Not just like, okay, I know how to, I need to know my Excel, I need to know how to do this. What are my leadership skills? It's not just a matter of, I'm in charge now, is it? It's a matter of how am I going to best serve my company? What's the holistic health of that company? And I may have to make tough decisions, right? But when I make those tough decisions, I have to at least feel like I'm competent, which goes back to the acting. Because I don't think anyone can maintain competency and the ability to fire people without feeling some guilt about themselves. But you still have to maintain that competency, which goes back to being an actor. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. One of the things you said earlier, which I wanted to follow up on, was you said as you kind of go in and prepare, you said, you know, I want to have fun or Mm -hmm. this is going to be fun. And you've just brought up some situations, firing someone, leaning in, maybe it's a crisis that you've got to deal with. Mm-hmm. Is, is thinking of that as fun? How does that work? How does that square? Put it this way. If I call you, Michael, into my office and I'm already, I'm going, I'm very tense. I'm going, okay, I, I hate to tell you this, but uh, we're going to have to let you go. And there's so much tension going on. You're not helping that employee. You're talking about something that's going to be the most horrific thing that's happened to this person in the day, in a month, possibly in a year. So if you approach it as giving yourself permission to be empathetic to that person in that, in that statement, it's not a matter of like going, okay, I, I, I'm so sorry and I can't do this for you and all this. It's more along the lines of, it, this is unfortunately what has to happen. But if there's anything else I can do for you, feel free to reach out or whatever. Giving yourself permission to be yourself, I guess, is more what would would translate as opposed to give, making it fun. That's for me when I'm going on stage, I'm about to go do something. Because <laughs> believe it or not, I suffer from incredible stage fright from the age of six until now. 
And so every time, even coming on here, I was like, what am I going to do? What am I gonna, I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to make a mistake. And then you have to realize, no, I trust Michael. Michael's going to guide us through this. And you have a lot to say. So let's say it. In any situation, you've got to find that strength within you or give yourself permission to be human while still maintaining an air of strength. And this part around stage fright, right? Whether that's an mm-hmm. actor or you yourself having it or working with individuals right. who have it, not much different than you know an executive having to go up and present in front of a lot of people, stressful situation mm-hmm. to the board. Are there some techniques that help alleviate this, the stage fright? For me, the, the, any type of presentation is, if I just look at it as being a presentation or performance, I'm going to get scared. If I look at it as going, okay, I'm going to make everybody in here my friend, and I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to listen to you as well, even though I think as you and I, we worked on episode zero, I said, it's a conversation, even though no one else is responding. So you still are trying to, it's the act of, I'm going to communicate my story to you, but I'm also going to listen if someone has something to say. And I think we even did some work where I asked, as you were going through it, I would, I would interject questions at you to kind of keep you on your toes. If you're just going to give a speech, find the content, learn it, do your work then forget it. Realize when you go up there, people have come to hear you speak. They want to hear and make them your friends, even if they may not, as we know, how can, how can happen in corporate America. Yeah. And, and that feels like something many of my clients would say, yes, I can do that. What I hear a lot come up and, and one of the things that I work with them on, but I'm very interested in how you manage this as a voice and acting coach mm-hmm. are those kind of impromptu moments. So you are in the moment, someone shoots you a question and an interruption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, as in, like in a meeting or, or conversation? Yeah. In a meeting and those types of scenarios. And what is the way to kind of think about managing yourself or or managing the... There, there's a couple of ways of doing that. There, I, what I always hate is, let's table this for now. Or, well, let's not talk about this for now. Now, there is the issue where you're in a meeting and people start going off in wild, wildly different uh, topics and you want to maintain the core of what you're talking about. But sometimes going down rabbit holes are great. There's a great story I heard about John Cassavetes, who was uh, an actor, Dirty Dozen. He also did in, a lot of independent films. He actually set up kind of the standard for independent films in the 50s and 60s. But it was his first time directing a um, major feature for a major studio. And didn't, I mean, he knew about directing, but he didn't know a lot. And the light guy goes, okay, uh, Mr. Cassavetes, for this, for this next uh, shot, do you want the, the, the rose gel in the lights or do you want the straw? He had no idea. So he turned to the guy and says, well, what do you think? Guy says, well, I I think the rose would be good. Okay, then let's go with the rose. He was a little bit more abrupt about it, but as opposed to getting caught up in the fact that he didn't know, he just turned around. So he gave the lighting person a chance to have buy-in to the process. And still, everyone worked towards the ultimate goal of making a good shot for that film. So a lot of that is is also kind of going with the moment. It's going with the moment, but also I would – 
I would say also being secure in yourself. Chip, I want to also ask you here, as, as you think about acting and many of the mm-hmm. examples here of flexing, okay. you know, a lot of people will bring up, you know, there are things here that I, that I can't change. I may be disadvantaged, right? And let's just say it's a, a corporate environment that, that has a certain type of people at the top. And I'm not tall or I'm a certain, you know, skin color or race or mm-hmm. I'm a foreigner and I've got a very strong accent when I speak English. And and there may be, in fact, we, we do know there may be inherent biases against those traits, right. right? As they show up when you communicate or even just your mere presence. So you may be disadvantaged before you even open your mouth. It's, mm-hmm. how, how should we think about kind of acting? You know, are you trying to cover up those things? Or are you trying to utilize those things. I'm sure you've got some, you've worked with a wide range of people on this. So I think every situation is going to be different. And so to say, I mean, my, my initial take is you need to embrace who you are and that's who you need to sell. But the minute you enter the room, you also have to kind of learn what the guide posts are and what the rules are. Cause you can't just come in and demand, this is who I am. Years ago, I was brought into a, a small college to, you know, to do a quick acting, uh, workshop. I'd sent out uh, a couple of monologues ahead of time, one for the women, one for the men. Well, of course, you know, it's young guys. I'm thinking, let's, I had this thing for Navy SEAL, you know, real, I'm a big man. I'm going to break your neck kind of, that was the, the whole essence of the monologue. Well, I show up and there's this one poor kid who suffered from MS in a wheelchair, had very little uh, ability to use his hands. And it got to his turn and he goes, I, I can't do this. No, no one's, no one's going to uh, see me in this. And I said, no one's going to hire you to play the head Navy SEAL. You're correct. But your job is to walk into that room, show them what you can do with that material. I think I used Dr. Strangelove as an example. You go show them what you can do because you don't know what they may be doing later. You don't know that they may go, hmm. There's this other role we can make different and have them read for that. You show what you do and you embrace that. And that's what you show them. And he said, okay. And he went in and he read, it was brilliant. It wasn't a Navy SEAL, but it showed a different side of what that was. Now, I, you know, to that point, my mother, who's retired now, she taught theater for most of her, I mean, most of her earlier career. And in the mid eighties, she decided she wanted to move up to uh, administration. Now that's the C-suite of education. So at that point, it was an old boys club. She wanted to be in charge. Uh, she was going for the job of uh, being in charge of the fine arts department. It's a very large school district. That job had always been held by a male band director. Okay. She gets a job. She walks in and as opposed to demanding people, okay, this is the way I'm going to do stuff. She went and found the most effective person in that organization who was a coach. And she goes, I like you. I want to be friends with you. And he took her under his wing and he taught her how to move through that process, how to deal with all those different individuals and those personalities. And by the end of her tenure, she was able to accomplish all her goals and still operate as a strong female. 
And so at some point you have to find out what's my core, but you can't immediately do that. You walk in, what are the guidelines? Then you have to establish trust. You have to take responsibility for who you are. You can't change people's minds by demanding it, but you can come in and say, I am valuable. I am smart and I will do this job better than anybody else. Even though you may not understand me, you may have to look down at me or you may have to look up at me or we don't get along, but we will in this format. So is there that's part about not kind of erasing who you are, what, like you said, being real and, mm-hmm. and embracing that. There is this part of then just kind of taking it out there. Right, uh, kind of mm-hmm. almost like an assertiveness or yeah, a directness. Yeah. yeah, and and that and that goes back to the, the the whole acting. You know, we think that we're we're pretending to be somebody else, and the most the key element with with acting is you break down all these barriers that you have as a human being, so that when you start building your character, you can then build them up for the character. You've picked the ones you need. You also are finding parts of every character that's a part of you because you want to be authentic in that, uh, in that character. You don't want to just put it on and, uh, and just, I'm going to play at being a CEO and I'm going to do this. So I'm going to do that. No, 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 no. I have to be the human being who happens to be the CEO or the Navy SEAL or the contractor, but you find the elements within the character that you can, con- that you can connect to the same thing for anyone i mean the minute you walk out of your house don't you put on a mask so the issue here is what is the most effective mask i can use in any situation and that will change but if it's too far away from who you are then it's a performance and you're working too hard on that performance and are you truly being effective in the role you're trying to get hired for or you are hired for so there's this this huge piece of thinking again about that situation and what the role calls for, but mm-hmm. then summoning up what are the parts of you that meet that role. There are so many different ways to approach a role. There is the thing of I'm going to learn the I'm going to learn the lines and I'm going to do what I'm told and I'm going to be this perfect person and it's boring. Now there's also this concept of which I learned in playwriting as well, as well as directing, is what is being said is not always what's going on underneath. So what's going on underneath? What is the emotion? What am I truly trying to convey? Because if you look at every great love scene, it usually starts with, oh, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you, I hate you. But underneath it's that we're really in love. You made a whole movie when Harry met Sally about that whole thing. They hated each other, but they were really in love. That's the subtext. So you're pulling all these things together and you're putting them, how do I make that real for me? And then you have to be available. Like I said, you learn what you're doing, you learn your skills, and then you forget them. So as you find all these different pieces and these pillars of the character, then you forget them because they become a part of you. If it's something I have to put on like chain mail every day, I, that's such a performance. I, it's just, it's going to take away from anything. And I'm going to start thinking about what I'm doing as opposed to playing the character. So Alec Baldwin was doing years ago on Broadway, was doing a streetcar named Desire. Stanley Kowalski, who basically was the prototype for wearing the wife beater t-shirts, very kind of just 
would beat people, but kind of had a heart of gold. He was loving the performance. One night he gets in there, screen door won't open. And he's jiggling it, jiggling it, jiggling it, jiggling it. And finally, it, it kind of comes open and it goes, okay. But he, it, it was a pause in the reality. He broke the reality for everyone. And he was going, I just, you know, if I'd really been not thinking about what was going on and really been in the, in the, in the character's mind, Stanley Kowalski was just busted through the, uh, the screen and opened the door and kept going and be damned what the director or the prop master or the, anybody else said, at least that performance, everyone was with me on it. And it's the same thing. I think that we have to be willing to take chances with what we're doing. And that goes back to who am I? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? And that's the kind of practice work I think we all have to do, no matter what job you're in every day. Chip, as we kind of come to the end of the interview here, I mean, you've reflected a lot on these parts around acting and, and how you work with individuals. Is there any other important parts that you would, you would bring up, particularly since you know, the audience here are not actors hmm. um, by trade? They're individuals who want to communicate better. but any, any kind of final thoughts here that things that we didn't talk about you want to bring in? I think we covered a great spectrum. I think what I would love to be able to uh, end with is always find a way of being comfortable in any situation, even though the fear may be there. So find ways that are going to relax you or be able to make you uh, have the ability to be relaxed enough to interact with anybody you're working with finding ways that are going to challenge you and find your strengths and then think about what you're trying to communicate. And then once you enter the room, you're there, you're comfortable. You're having fun. The having fun with a lot of that work behind it and the practice, but many of the things you've described here sound like absolutely they can be learned. Yeah. It's not all innate. No, 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 no. It's I, I, I don't. I believe natural talent takes you only to fifty percent. I think that it's a continual work, no matter what your work is. Practice, 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 practice. Prepare, 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 and then when you get to the actual moment, it just happens. Well, the practice, practice, practice is good. I do find it helps when you have an expert like yourself who can accelerate and get through some of the, the, the challenges. So Chip, how do people learn more about what you do or reach you? You can go to my website, chipdavis.net. You can find me on LinkedIn. That's a great way. Don't confuse me with Mannheim Steamroller. I don't do Christmas music. I take his paychecks, but I don't do Christmas music. <laughs> uh, and you know that's, those are the two best ways to get me. And then you can also reach me if you're interested in doing uh, podcasts and or audiobooks. Uh, one of the one of the people I work with who does this podcast is Autovita Studios. So you can reach me at chip at Autovita, which is A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A dot com. And I will certainly connect you with whoever you need to. Yeah. And they and you are the excellent producers of this podcast. And I thank you very much. And I'm glad. Many times you are behind the scenes helping me and helping others and to have you reflect and share some of those insights here out to the audience is incredibly valuable. So Chip, thank you for your time today. 
thank you. It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to working again on the other side of the mic. Thank you. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwenderoth.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.